I'm Kieran Sinha, and this is Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go. Hey, winners. Welcome back to Win the Day. If this is your first time here, we sit down with some of the world's true change makers to give you all the tips, tools, and strategies to win the day every day. The quote for this episode it comes from Mandy Hale and says, Change is painful, but nothing is as painful as staying stuck somewhere you don't belong. There's been a lot of hype in the last few years about the metaverse and Web 3.0, a lot of confusion, misconceptions, and misinformation. Our guest today is here to help us navigate all of that and then some. Kieran Sinhar is the founder and CEO of Illumix, one of the world's leading augmented reality companies. From a young age, through a background in dancing, Kieran developed the confidence to follow what she loved and understood how consistent work led to better performance in any field. Her other great passion was mathematics, and you'll see how these two areas have followed her along the entrepreneurial journey. In 2012, Kieran launched Nonprofit Shine, a unique after-school program to empower young women to value their own potential and capabilities within the fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, while also boosting their self-confidence. Kieran has degrees in electrical engineering, computer science, and mathematics from MIT, as well as advanced degrees in mathematics, statistics, and business from the University of Cambridge, the London School of Economics, and Stanford. Early this year, she was listed on the Forbes 30 Under 30 and was honored as one of Variety's 10 innovators to watch in 2021. But today, her big focus is Illumix. Since launching in 2017, Illumix has powered digital physical experiences across the metaverse, ranging from entertainment to commerce and bridges the 2D and 3D world through their breakthrough technology. Illumix has been recognized by Fast Company and Google and secured $13 million in venture capital funding. I'll be honest, I don't know much about the metaverse AR and Web 3.0, so I'm really excited for this conversation. We're going to talk about how to recognize and unleash your full potential when Kieran realized the metaverse was going to be the future, how she's built Illumix into a global powerhouse, and what exciting things technology has in store for us just around the corner. Before we begin, remember that the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one out there who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. All right, let's win the day with Kieran Sinha. Kieran, so great to see you. Thanks for coming on the Win the Day show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'd love you just to set the table. What are we talking about when we talk about metaverse, augmented reality, and those types of things? Absolutely. So the metaverse is getting a lot of attention, attention today. And really, all we're talking about when we talk about the metaverse is what the next form of the internet is. How will people participate in the digital world of the future? Today, a lot of how we participate in the digital world is we're online, we're behind screens, you're on Instagram or TikTok, maybe you're on Zooms very frequently as I am. <laughs> and that's really how we engage with our world today. And the idea with the metaverse is that that will become more immersive, more 3D, more interactive, where instead of maybe sitting in one place and staring at a screen, we might actually be moving around and have digital content around us. We might be in a fully digital world. But I think it's really about freeing ourselves from some of the constructs technology has put around us that have given us so many opportunities and so much connection, but in some ways have also really limited us in its current iteration. I had a conversation with someone the other day and they were talking about, when we talk about things that we're mentioning today, is everyone going to be walking around with these giant headsets? Does this exist, all the things you're talking about with augmented reality in the metaverse? Does it require a headset or is in the future, is it going to be without those, those things to make it more accessible and more comfortable? With augmented reality in particular, whenever you're talking about combining digital and physical, there has to be a lens of some kind. Today, a lot of the lenses are really clunky and big <laughs> and really more targeted at a virtual reality of VR audience. I would think about this a little bit like VR might be something that would replace the personal computer. So it's something maybe you have at home, you maybe do work or, you know, gaming and really things that are more targeted at staying still in one location. And augmented reality might be the future of something like the mobile device, where it's something that you have with you that's lightweight, that allows you to constantly be connected to a digital world. So eventually, I think the way augmented reality will go is more a lightweight glasses or contact lens, something like that as mm. we move into the future. 
Uh, doing some research on you before our interview today, to me, you really are the epitome of the quote, be the change you wish to see in the world. I've just, I felt like uh, you've been like that from a, a very young age. Where did that confidence, strength and, and ambition that you have today, where did it all come from? We sp- you spoke a little bit earlier about dance has always been a huge part of my life from the time I was very, very young. I was a hugely dorky child, could barely, <laughs> could barely walk in a straight line. And my parents, who were really probably rightfully concerned about my ability to make friends and stand in a classroom, stuck me in dance classes. And yes. I loved it. It became this music and uh, and movement became a huge part of my childhood and my expression. And I think through that process, I learned a lot about confidence and how it's a skill and how you work towards it, right? Everyone really, if you're competitively dancing, is looking to stand out. And that's really different than how I think a lot of girls are taught to behave inside the context of a classroom. Many young girls don't want to stand out necessarily, right? You want to fit in. It's really the, it's the opposite. You, you were taught to fit in. And in fact, if you stand out often you're bullied or that's not, that's not a positive thing in, in society today, but in the world of dance, it was. And I think it was through that. And I have to give a lot of credit to my mother and, mm-hmm. you know, the environment I grew up in is they never once suggested to me that I couldn't do something. There was always, I think a lot of support and confidence around supporting whatever it is that I really wanted to do. And I think from the time I was very young, I was very motivated to push and work really hard to be great at it. I used to want to stay home and practice and not go to birthday parties, right? That was just the kid that I was. How would that have been for you uh, if you never developed that confidence, map sort of that path out for you? Where do you think you would have ended up? It's so difficult to say, but I think a lot of what shaped who I was in my trajectory when I think about my math, which has really been a huge part of my life and was the foundation for engineering and STEM and everything that I've built my entire career on today. I don't think any of that would have happened. I was accelerated as a child in math. And so I was a sixth grader in, you know, calculus and like high school classes with kids who were much, much larger than me. And, uh, I was a small dorky kid, any which way you cut this. Okay. I'm sure they were frustrated. Like, You're just kicking their ass in the math problems. They're but, like, but wow. you know, you have to have a, if, I think, I think I would have never agreed or put myself in that position if I didn't have that confidence build up. You're naturally going to stand out and be a little uncomfortable and awkward in those settings. And if I hadn't developed that confidence at a young age, I don't think I could have ever done that. I would have said, you know what, I'm just going to follow the path and try and stay really as under the radar as possible, which is how I was in a lot of my other, I think, day-to-day in schooling. I was definitely always uncomfortable and never felt like I totally fit in. And so one, or, one of two ways to handle that. Yeah. You know, in the intro, we mentioned how um, a lot of the things that we would talk about would inspire people to sort of realize and ignite their own potential. And that's it. Like the reason I, I have the win the day podcast and do what I do, and it sounds like a big part of what you do too, uh, is because there is so much wasted potential out there in the world that the right mentorship, the right environment, like we were talking about before the show, can just completely just, you know, explode your, your growth and happiness and, and self-love and meaning every day. Absolutely. I think people have so much potential. I firmly believe that. I think everyone is on this earth to make an impact and has a purpose and can access that. But I think a lot of times you want to go with the flow and you're sort of just, you're, you are just kind of floating through life. One of the things I try and think about every day is how did I show up today? Am I proud of how I show up today? I feel like that act, like that word proud often is something I reflect on in the evening of, do I feel proud of who I was today? And a lot of being great at anything. And you learn this certainly dancing where you would spend (laughs) hours on, you know, maybe a five second segment or playing piano or any of those types of things is practice. It's just doing something that's probably very boring, but doing it for an abnormally long period of time and never giving up. I think that those are, that's 95% of the equation there. And if you live your everyday life, if you should imagine if you showed up at every meeting and you were 100% present, you wanted to show up and give everything you had at every single meeting, how different might your life be? How different would you show up? How different would you feel about yourself and how might that impact the people around you perceiving how much you care? People, I think, really respect. It takes one person to really care and be passionate for that to, I think, spread and create incredible impact around what you do. Huge, absolutely huge. Uh, When did you feel comfortable being the odd one out? 
comfortable. I would say it came much later in life. I embraced it when I was young and it was something I sort of tolerated and accepted. And I think my headspace when I was growing up was I have one of two choices, either to just not do this thing that I love at all, or I accept that I'm going to be the odd one out and I'm just going to embrace it because I'm here and I want to be seen and heard and, you know, give back to the world around me. I think about this analogy of being a tree, sort of (laughs) like a large tree of you want to take up space and be present, but at the same time, you're giving back to the environment around you at any Mm. given time. And so I think about that a lot. And I think it wasn't really until I started the company. So way after my academic career, where I leaned in on being and really feeling comfortable being different because I realized that was a strength. You might have touched on it there, but I I was wondering, was there a single purpose that you feel like carried you through your childhood and through Shine and through Illumix and the things you're doing today? I don't know if it was a single continuous purpose. I knew from a young age, I loved math. There was a very clear connection for me there of how simple and beautiful it could be in breaking down highly complex topics and how the most simple things were actually the most complex to solve or prove this idea of a universal truth and kind of currency that rings through everything was something I just thought was so beautiful. And so I always loved that. And so I think a lot of my youth was following those passions. And, you know, when you feel connection to something, that's when you pursue it, even if you don't know exactly the way that manifests. And I think What happened only when I was at Stanford, so maybe seven years ago, is what I realized was that was the toolkit for me to actually unleash creativity. And that's really where my passion, I think, and purpose lies is how do we take, how do we use technology and actually enable people to live life and experience life the way you were when you were uninhibited? Think about like children, right? Think about children running around and the way they see the world and their imagination, that all kind of goes out of us at some point. And I love, love things like Harry Potter <laughs> and Star Wars and all of that. I'm a huge nerd in case the <laughs> case that's not wildly obvious from the story already. But I loved all of that stuff. And the idea of the, being a part of those stories, those things being around us and everyone is telling a story, whether you're a brand or you're a person, you're a entertainment company, it doesn't matter. Stories are all around us. I think it's what makes us human at a fundamental level. And I really feel that a lot of the way technology has evolved today has actually broken that down and put it in a very specific format. You're staring at a screen, you're totally inert. How do we break free from that and really, I think, do something that's going to be more natural and make people feel more engaged and fulfilled on a day-to-day basis? Mm. So it really wasn't until seven years ago that I even realized entertainment was, or media and entertainment was a real field I could go into. Yeah. You mentioned earlier some of the personal relationships that really served as mentorship and guidance for you, but it sounds like for you that when you went to MIT, that was the first time that you were in the environment where you had your peers, like that peer support, and you sort of found your tribe for the the first time. Who were you going into MIT and who were you afterwards? Ironically, much the same person. I think a lot of my journey at MIT was a circle of uh, going in and being this huge kind of out of place math nerd, but who's potentially, I think, less confident. I think I had felt going into college that I was a product of the things around me and not that I was choosing to be that person. Like I was the misfit math nerd, didn't have a group, and that didn't feel like something I had as a choice more as that was my reality. And so when I went into MIT for the first time, I had this incredible group of peers. We're all really excited and passionate about something. And it's what I loved about the school. It feels, it's almost like a tangible electricity when everyone around you really is there for a purpose. And it's the first time I'd experienced that. And when everyone was really there to pursue a passion or do research or push the boundary in some kind of way. And that was incredibly intoxicating to me. Um, I felt like I had finally found my people who understood (laughs) me and and got me. And, you know, through the process of going through college and kind of finding a group and then realizing it probably still isn't exactly a perfect fit and then feeling out of place once more. By the time I left college, what I had 
realized was you can have these very deep connections with lots of people and be inspired by them, but it was never going to be, I think, my place to fit in with a specific group or be a specific type of person. Mm -hmm. It was really more about me being able to form friendships across different groups and interests. And, and I felt like for the first time I had chosen for myself, this is what I want to do. And this is what I want to be. And I actually don't care at all about fitting in or having a group or anything like that. And the stuff just doesn't matter. Yeah. So empowering. Yeah. It was very, it was a very empowering experience. And I think from there is really when I started to feel comfortable charting my own path and mm-hmm. doing a very different type of career of, than what I think I would have always expected for myself. And with Shine, where you were combining math and dance and helping a lot, in Australia we say math. So in America they say math over here. So if you hear me say the other one, you know, you know why. Uh, when did you go from identifying that as a problem to being like, you know what, I'm going to be the person to do something about it? I've always been very passionate about getting more women into STEM. It's something I've always had a lot of exposure to. And I, you know, even at MIT, which is a 50-50 gender ratio in the hardcore maths and physics and electrical engineering, it is nowhere close to 50-50. It's an incredible minority women. And when you think about that problem holistically, to me, it has to start from the pipeline. There have to be more girls at a young age who are interested in pursuing this, who will go to high school math and then potentially pursue it in college. Otherwise, you can't address this much larger problem that has huge impact. Technology is a, is a sector that has impact very wide impact on how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis. And women's voices should be represented there. I think we will land in a better place as a society when that is true. And so I started just tutoring and teaching in the Cambridge public school system when I was at MIT. And what I really noticed was girls used very different language to describe what they struggled with than what boys did. They would say things like, I can't get fractions, not I don't get fractions. And that word can't versus don't, it means something completely different. Can't implies you don't think you have the potential to do something. Don't means I just don't get it right now. But can't means I don't think I'll ever be able to get this. It's not who I am. I'm not a math person. There was this huge amount of identity that was associated or disassociated with STEM that I think doesn't hold in a lot of other cases. And when I really thought about my own personal journey and what changed that for me, as we spoke about earlier, it was dance. And so it was a wacky experiment of, can I get (laughs) girls to sign up for an after-school dance program that's secretly teaching them math? And and the answer was yes. And in a different environment can make all the difference. When you're not sitting in a classroom where you might already have preconceived notions about who you are and what your capabilities are, you're in a totally new space. You're maybe experiencing joy. And I think, you know, dance and math are actually a very interesting pair because it gives a physicality to something that's usually very abstract. Mm. So when you can start to tie those things together, it gave a lot of these young girls the space to have that aha moment of, I can do this. And that's all it takes is there's one moment of realizing that I can do this to change how they show up in the classroom, how they show up in school, how they show up after school. It really has a profound impact. We had girls who, for the first time in their lives, were raising their hands in classes. That's really significant when we're talking about a fifth, sixth grade girl, where that's going to change potentially how her future unfolds. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was just something I wanted to try. (laughs) It was in no way supposed (laughs) to be a business or, you know, a huge franchise or anything like that. Uh, I just wanted to help the group of, I think it was like 11 girls that we started with and see if they could see what I could see in them. Because I could look at them and say, I know you can do this. I know it looking at you, but they didn't know it yet. Developing that one habit at a young age that then the millions of other decisions they're going to make from there completely changes their their evolution. It's small changes, right? It's usually not huge moments and big things that I think change the trajectory of your life or you know, create impact. It's small changes, small moments that build up over a long period of time, right? It's Mm -hmm. a compounding effect. And you've started a whole bunch of educational institutions that we mentioned there. (laughs) Did you do that because you wanted to go and learn more? Like, were you getting more practical skills with each one that you went to? Or was there some other type of opportunity or, you know, like relationships or something else that you were trying to, to aim for? Well, it was really interesting to be both in the U.S. schooling system and in the British one, which approach education and learning very differently. And so that was, I think, an incredibly informative experience for me as someone who 
thought they were going to go into. I thought I was going to be a professor. Mm -hmm. And so I did want a little bit of that exposure to a different way of thinking. And I think MIT, Cambridge and Stanford, all in particular, do that very differently. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was an interesting high level experience. But really, there's less of a plan than I think people think. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think a lot of times when we look back at our lives, you can create the thread and create the story. But a lot of how I've focused my life is just when you have an opportunity that feels aligned with something that you feel genuine excitement and passion about, just say yes. Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to go abroad and study at Cambridge. And I just said yes, because that sounded like something that would help me grow as a person and push me and made me slightly a good cocktail of uncomfortable and excited. (laughs) And I think that's almost always an indication that you should do it. Yeah. Uh, You know, I love that. Uncomfortable and excited. Have you heard the Steve Jobs quote where he spoke about, you can only connect the dots looking back, not forwards? Yes, I have. It's such, I often think about that in my own life, just all the different things that we, that we do that, um, you know, down the track, people are like, oh, wow, what an amazing plan. That straight line that you've been on. It was actually, uh, like a stock market chart. It was the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and it's totally natural, I think, to go back and do that and make sense of it. But I think it can also be isolating when you feel lost in your life mm. and you feel like everyone else had this path and this plan and they knew what they were going to accomplish from day one. And maybe someone else out there doesn't feel that way and doesn't know where they're going in the path. It's easier than that in some ways, like rip that all apart and say, what excites you the most when you're doing it? Where do you feel joy, not happiness, joy. That's a, every single day I try to have one moment of pure unadulterated joy and something that a lot of times I'm lucky in that that's in my work. Sometimes it's a one minute dance party or, you know, <laughs> like a really delicious bite of food or something <laughs> like that. But I think if you're really connecting to joy, one, you never get burnt out. I believe that. And two, it's almost this incredible compass that points you towards really what you care about and what you like to do. Where where does that joy come from for you? If you push towards that, I think you're going to accomplish incredible things. When does joy become dangerous? If that's the daily, obviously, it's, you know, we're here on this planet to have, to have joy. If you say, you know, maybe it's like ice cream, I'm just going to go and have one little ice cream, which might turn into three scoops every single day. Like <laughs> when does, in the joy that you're talking about here in terms of you being able to be happy and, and avoid burnout. What are some, what are some, uh, examples or things that people should look out for so they can maintain it, but not fall off the tightrope? Joy is always a complex topic because I, I think it's very different than happiness and very different than pleasure. So I would question if someone is eating three bowls of ice cream, (laughs) is that pleasure or is that true joy? I think joy is more existential. Joy is like, I feel the most joy when I see something that I've been picturing in my head actually come to life. Like that to me is pure, like a unadulterated source of joy. When I'm imagining, wouldn't it be great if one day this character could be here and actually talk to me in real life? Can you, what would that be like? Wouldn't it be great if this whole environment around me were actually something totally different? And when you actually see that occur for me, it's this incredible moment of joy. I think joy ultimately connects us to our purpose. A lot of times you can feel happiness and pleasure and things like that, but it may not really be connected to our purpose. And I think with burnout, a lot of times, and I I work pretty long hours and I have for quite a while. And so I got asked about burnout a lot. I don't think it's about doing less. That's everyone's like, you need a break. You look like you're getting burnt out. And I completely disagree with that. I think you need to do more of what genuinely connects you to your joy and to your purpose. If you do more of why, why do you do what you do? It, maybe it's because you believe that these kinds of fantasy worlds are really inspiring to you. Maybe it's because you think that technology is super exciting. I'm obviously talking about my world, but for <laughs> anyone out there, right? like, why is it that you originally do did what you do every day? What do you spend your time on that you care about? And if you can go back to that source, I think you never get burnt out. Mm. What is your daily routine? look like? You mentioned they're long hours. Oh, and, and what are, what are these long hours? What, what do you mean by long hours? <laughs> I've, I've, ta- I've cut back. <laughs> I, I'm living a more balanced lifestyle now. It's really a marathon, not a sprint. But I started waking up between four to five when I was 14 um, to start work. And for me, when I was dancing seriously, I'd have to do all my homework in the mornings, basically, because after school, I'd be in rehearsals until late. And then you go to sleep and you have to wake up and do all your work. 
So I wake up quite early. I do my first work session somewhere between maybe 4.30 to 6.30 or 7. I work out for about an hour, get ready, have breakfast, and then I hop into meetings by maybe 8, 8.30. Uh, and then basically work on and off, I would say, with a, a break for a walk in the afternoon, maybe until 9. In the walk in the afternoon, do you have like, you know, do you have headphones in trying to listen to podcasts or audiobooks or anything, or is that just to be connected to the environment and specifically not have any external stimulus? Usually I try to not have too much external stimulus, sometimes music, um, but I try not to listen to podcasts at that time. I listen to a lot of podcasts in the morning when I'm getting ready. That's my time to do that. Yeah. yeah. You know, one thing that frustrates me, we go to the beach a lot as a family and I love the beach so much. It's my, my happy place. It's where I get centered and relaxed and Inevitably, someone rocks up with this, you know, really loud speaker, just cranking this Euro trance music or something, and it just destroys the serenity. You're, you're there to have a bit of, you know, to be with nature, and that is the bit for me that just grounds me so much. And yeah. it's it's very easy to to have that ob that obligation or that sensation that we feel like we need to always be connected to something. I agree. I think everyone does feel that they need to be connected, and to the point at which they're disconnected with the world. I actually feel this is the problem with how we live life right now. How many times are you out in an environment at a dinner at the beach? And actually what you're doing is you're staring at this tiny little screen in your pocket yeah. and you're not engaged and present with the world around you. I think to me, the purpose of technology is to better connect us with the world and the people around us. And I think at some point we've maybe lost sight of that a little mm -hmm. bit and it's actually disconnecting us. And that's where I think augmented reality has such power because while we might not have to be completely disconnected, it's actually about us being fully present in our environment. To me, that actually is empowering people to be more connected, more present, more constantly kind of heads up. I think heads down is very concerning to me. Mm -hmm. People live, like, you look around, you look at the bus, you look at dinners, everyone is heads down looking at their phone and disconnected. Yeah. And I don't think, and I think during the pandemic, we actually experienced that that's not what makes people happy. Are we at the the worst point in technology before the things like the work that you're doing, which I'd love to talk about now? Are we at the worst point before all these other improvements can get us back on track in terms of um, quality of life? I do think it's getting it's going to be getting better soon. Yes, I think right now we're kind of there are always cycles in technology, and I think we're towards the end of our current cycle. Whether you want to call that Web 2.0 or you know pick anything, mm -hmm. I think this is probably that moment where there's enough dissatisfaction happening. And that's why we're seeing a revolution right now with Metaverse and Web3 of there's a lot of people who are saying, current state is not great. How do we make this better? What does the next version of this world look like? Mm. And I think that's actually the moment in time we're experiencing. Uh, with Illumix specifically, what was the problem that you, that you wanted to solve and why did it fall on your shoulders to do it? <laughs> When I started Illumix, it wasn't so much that I woke up one day and said, I want to be a CEO or I want to be an entrepreneur. I don't think I've ever thought that necessarily. <laughs> I really wanted this world to exist. I really wanted content to break three from screens. And I really believed that we had finally hit a moment in time where we have supercomputers and cameras and are on our person at all given times to engage with the world in a new way. I believed that that was possible and that that would be how we share experiences in the future. And when I looked around, no one was doing it. If someone was doing it, I probably would have joined them and been like, this is great. I would love to be a part of this. But no one was really doing it. And I think sometimes you feel consumed or I, I was completely consumed by this concept. I felt like I was on fire every day of this needs to exist. I want to experience this. I think other people will want to experience this. And I really believe that the future is going to be more immersive and more interactive and just put us in a position of power. So much of content today is passive. We're sitting there, it's happening, we're binging, we're scrolling. I don't think that that's the future. I think in the future, we're much more in control of that. And we're starting to see that, I think, a little bit more come into play with gaming and TikTok and some of these new things that have gained huge consumer traction. And it just didn't, it just didn't exist. It just didn't <laughs> exist. I think sometimes you build something because you believe it will exist and should exist and you want to be a part of shaping that. Yeah. The best way to predict the future is to create it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, give us an example of what that looks like from a practical sense. Like what's available right now in terms of an experience using AR or, or the metaverse? Yeah. 
there's a lot. What Illumix specifically does is we kind of think about it as when the internet came around, everyone knew this was going to be important, but didn't know how to engage with it. How do you create a presence in the internet? How do you connect with consumers? And that's where companies like a Squarespace or WordPress came into play, where they solved a lot of the technical problems and they made it easy for anyone to tell their story and kind of create a presence. That's really what Illumix is doing in the world of the metaverse. We're sort of what Squarespace or WordPress did, which is we're giving we've solved all the nasty tech bits <laughs> and infrastructure bits that you probably never want to look at. And we're just giving you the tools to easily create that kind of content. So that could be everything from going to a theme park today and actually seeing these fantastical things that might not be possible you know, things are flying in the air and there's magic all around you. It could be something like that all the way to shopping online, where right now our process is you buy stuff, you try it on, you send it back, which is one, incredibly inefficient and two, horrific for the planet. <laughs> and doing that differently and saying, well, if I'm looking at a necklace, I should just be able to see what that looks like on me. Why not? We have a camera there. We have connectivity there. Why is that not the case? And so that's another example of something that Illumix is enabling. What about 10 years or, or 15 years into the future? Are these, uh, do you dare even think about uh, about some of those things and what would that look oh, like? Oh, I think every entrepreneur, entrepreneur should dare. I think that when you're forming a company or forming a pitch deck, the first thing that you need to really have clarity on is in 10 years or 50 years, the world looks like X. And so I think about this all the time. I think in 10 to 15 years, there will be a kind of head-worn device, contacts, glasses, probably a blend of the two. and will be in a place where people are constant, like constantly able to engage in the world around them, where I don't see the kind of horrible dystopian future of there's ads everywhere and all <laughs> we see is digital content. But I think it's one of those things where we can actually be heads up and walking on the beach and not worried about what's happening in my pocket. Why do I need to look down to see something? It could be something where we're walking along the beach and if you want to hear music or if you don't, <laughs> you know, you could just say out loud, play queen or whatever it is. Turn off the other guy's music. Yeah, turn off the other guy's music. And and you'd be able to live in that world and Mm. share your world with others. Mm. I think that that's a really important thing of being able to share the version of the world you experience with others, I think is an incredibly powerful part of what the metaverse will be. How far away are we from not having devices anymore in terms of things like iPhones? I think we're several years away from that. Mm. My suspicion is that will still be a part of the infrastructure for the next few years. It will just be almost more like having the computer battery pack Mm -hmm. around you, but you'll have another way of experiencing and engaging with the information. What about dangers? You know, there's a lot of a lot of people chatter about um, things like AI in particular, about how that can um, destroy the world. Hypothetically, where do you where do you sit in terms of the dangers of all the work that that you're doing? Do Do you see anything out there? There is always, I think, an obligation to think very deeply about the ethics of anything that has the ability to make choices for itself, right? So that there's a lot of bias that we can put in that, which is part of why I feel so passionately about having other representation out there, because you're going to see things differently and realize where some of that bias might come in when you're programming, whether it's AI or just even traditional algorithms. There needs to be a lot of thought put into that into the AI is going to take over the world with robots that destroy us component. I have very little worry about that right now. We are just nowhere close to that. That's called generalized AI, and it's just not even, we're a long, long ways off from that if we ever get there. And so I think that's one of those kind of red herrings that people talk too much about that sexy robots kill us example (laughs) and not enough about the practicality of the AI that's actually impacting our lives every day and making choices for us. You know, if the government or something is using AI in a certain way to identify people or, you know, everything from something that seems more intense and like that all the way to something about how Google might represent your choices and show you different types of information that all needs to be thought of very deeply. What data is being fed in? Is that a unbiased data set? Is it going to ultimately make us more separated and create you know, a world that we don't feel safe living in versus something that I think can and has been used to make our lives much better and easier? In some ways, AI is really just 
an evolution, I think, of algorithms and technology that have been around. And I think it gets a worse rap because people don't understand. Most of how companies use AI is basically a linear interpolation of a straight line, mm -hmm. <laughs> like the data. This is most companies who are AI are not doing a lot. There's obviously some exceptions there that are doing very deep research and work, but usually it's, I think, not as harmful as people think. As we adopt some of these like immersive technologies here, are there any challenges with people not being, um, when they switch off from, from those things, that they um, miss that sexiness is not the right word, maybe the stimulation of being in those different environments, especially if someone could be have all these amazing things and this great life and then they go back and realize how mundane and they don't, have, does that make sense? Yeah, they don't. Have. Yeah, sure. So I think the example you're talking about is really the purely virtual world of where mm. we're, if we're living and we're working in this incredible place, like a ready player one style mm. environment. And then we go back to our real lives and feel a huge disconnect. I really believe that the future is actually about, this is why I like augmented reality, where mm. these two things are constantly blended. So you never feel that disconnect. In some ways, I actually think that's the scenario you described is not super far from the way we're living today. Mm where you spend a lot of time on spent If you look on Instagram or TikTok, like you might be seeing a very different version of the world where your life looks a lot less fulfilling and exciting in comparison. And because you're basically comparing something that doesn't exist to something that does exist, right? Like that's still what's happening in a lot of the digital world today. But I honestly believe because that makes people unhappy, it's specifically because that is the case that that will not be the future because ultimately people will go I think for things that make them feel more complete. And we see this happening, right? There's already a huge backlash against this sort of fake, overly perfect world or these worlds that don't make us feel good to something that feels more representative of the real world. The real world is gaining some sexiness back of being authentic and yourself and not embellishing. And I think that's where augmented reality and the metaverse are ultimately going to take us. Well, you've been five years now on the Illumix journey? Yes, five years now. What was the moment when you were like, wow, I think we're onto a winner here? There were, there were a few moments along the journey where you really think there might be something incredible here. And I think a lot of it comes down to how consumers react to your product, right? Or how whoever your target audience is, there has to be that product market fit of you might think it's really cool. And I've always thought it was really cool, but do other people really want this? And I think the first time we play tested our first game, which was Five Nights at Freddy's, we brought in a bunch of Stanford students and basically randos off the street and said, <laughs> hey, we want you to try this and see how you feel about it. And, and watching them actually engage in AR for the first time. And this was, this was a horror title, but we saw people with just their little phones basically backing up into corners and being really scared and really like screaming. And, you know, a lot of people moved up against the wall and we were like, that is a visceral reaction to something that does not exist right now. But people felt it was really real. And that's when we realized we really were stitching together imagination and this kind of digital content with what reality was for people in a way that I think hadn't been done before. It must be incredible to watch that just unfold before your eyes for the first time. It was really incredible to yeah. see it happen and kind of get the feedback. And this was very early on, I think, in the journey of when people have moments where they feel like their own imagination and creativity has come to life, it is a, it's something people automatically connect to because it's human. Everyone imagines the world a certain way or has imagined the world a certain way. And when you get to see things that you didn't think were possible actually unfold before your eyes, it's a pure magic moment and you see it in everyone's eyes everyone's eyes get wide and you have a real reaction as though that thing was actually sitting in front of you are there any particularly rough days on this journey that <laughs> that stand out we've mentioned joy we've mentioned all the all the good all the times good stuff. especially uh, the last couple of years i mean it really has been just such a wild two and a half years for the yeah. for the world um more broadly but for you on that business journey if you if you add in the complexities of having your own business you know raising money, trying to secure all these partners and everything else. Mm -hmm. A lot a lot going on. I can't even imagine behind the scenes to to keep the whole shit moving forward. Oh, constantly. Mm -hmm. I would say overwhelmingly as a founder, you're probably some combination of exhausted, terrified, and nauseous. Um, but I mean, if we're being honest, that's what mm -hmm. a lot of it is. And I think a lot of my personal journey as a founder has been learning how to emotionally regulate through that and how to not be so impacted by the bumps 
along the road. And there have been a few tools that I've kind of gathered through the years that I think have helped me with that. And I think one of the big realizations for me is that you never actually know what ends up being good or bad. There are times where there were deals that we didn't get and I was devastated because you work so hard towards an outcome. You really want something to happen and it doesn't work out. And then you look back and you say that was absolutely the right call. And I think almost exclusively the best moments come after the worst moments. (laughs) And so you go through some really tough times where you think, this is never going to work. This is never going to launch. We're going to run out of money. No one's ever going to like agree to fund us. There's constantly moments of doubt of what am I doing with my life that, you know, and how, and how do I continue to do it and justify it if no one else believes in me, right? Fundraising, I think is always some of the toughest times for founders for that reason, because you're really putting yourself on the line and it is personal. It should be personal in some ways, right? Not the rejection component, but this is your life's work. This is what you wake up and fall asleep and think about 24 seven. If someone says, oh, I don't think it's going anywhere, you're, of course, going to take that personally. And so I think learning that resilience and that ability to keep. Keep an eye on the larger picture has been a really important part of the journey. Is there anything specifically you do to enable that, like maybe having a really stressful day or what do you do to sort of unpack things out of your head or just anything like that in terms of, uh, or even even self-care, just whatever sort of lands in, in being able to stay focused, committed and productive? There's a few things I do. I think, you know, it's it's focusing on the big picture. I think that that's when it can become really dark as an entrepreneur, when you get really stuck in the day to day and you don't see the bigger vision and picture anymore. And so I journal every night, um, kind of stream of consciousness style. And I think that helps just remove everything from my brain that might be there. So I think that's very important in the mornings I meditate. And I think that helps me focus. And I also, I literally have a Google calendar invite at least once a week. Sometimes it's every morning to kind of, I think it's called big picture thinking. Uh, And it's just a reminder for myself to say, okay, where are we going? Where is the company going? How is everything we're doing still aligned with that? And how is it that I'm showing up today to support that big picture goal? Because otherwise you can do a lot of work and miss miss the boat kind of on what really matters. And so I actually, I literally have a Google calendar invite that reminds me to focus on that every day and at least think about that every day. And I think that all of those things, I think, have very much helped me. And you just reframe your attitude towards no, I think, is the other thing. Mm. You hear no a lot, especially as an early startup, right? And and certainly when you're fundraising. And I think sort of like failure in some ways of you realize it's not an end state. It's just a stepping stone on the way to get to a yes. It's the stepping stone on the way to success. And so I had heard at one point. How would you feel about no if I told you there was only two more no's until you got to yes? You would be running at those no's. You'd be like, yes, let's do this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. (laughs) I cannot wait to get through those two no's because I know that yes is on the other side. And I think that that's the reality is there is actually always a yes on the other side. And there is a finite number of no's. And so you have to kind of run into the wall knowing I just need to get through the no's and the bad fits and the people that are probably not going to be the right ones for my journey anyway. Mm And that no, that, you know, that no is actually just a path on the way to yes. And it really reframes, I think, how you think about things when you know the yes is actually, you know, and tell yourself two away, 12 away, whatever. But there is always a yes there if you keep going. Yeah. It's a perseverance game. Such a simple but significant mindset shift, isn't it? Yeah. And it, it completely changed how I felt about fundraising. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned there the stream of consciousness journaling. Is it, yes. do you use a phone? Do you write something down or are these just thoughts that you just have going through your head mentally? What's that process? I, I write things down. So yeah. I, I used to hand write them. Sometimes I type them now because there's a lot of thoughts and limited time and I can type very quickly <laughs> relative to how quickly I can write. Um, I use day one. Um, yeah, me too. Journey, day one journal yeah, app. Yeah, day one. It's amazing because yeah. I can have it, you know, sometimes in between meetings, I have things on my mind that I need to, I feel like, clear out before I get to my other meeting and I can you know, in an Uber ride or something, just type it out. Uh, It's an incredible app for journaling, I think, and kind of keeping track of, of your emotional status and regulation. I found, I started journaling when I was at MIT actually, and things were very stressful. And it, again, it's a good opportunity to get things out of your head, to focus on gratefulness. Like I put prompts in mine, uh, you know, on things I'm grateful for, on things I'm inspired by, on something I could do better for the next day. So 
in case you can't tell, I like structure. <laughs> I like structure and everything I do. And so even my, you know, stream of conscious journaling has some structure to it. And uh, that's, uh, that's how I do it every night. And that's it so really good. helps. Yeah. So my day one journal, I do hashtag lesson when there's something, you know, maybe it's every oh, it's week. Oh, a great or idea. Yeah. So that yeah. way I can always go back and look at my lessons from the last year. It's always three things that I will do today that'll make today a win, you know, winning the day. Exactly. Um, what else do I add in there? And also just what's unique about the last 20 and what, what happened in the last 24 hours. That's that's sort of the way I've, I've been doing it now, 400 days in a row. It's amazing. I don't know what my streak day. is, but it's pretty, it's pretty high as yeah. well. And I think the three things in the morning is also so important. I tie that into my big picture thinking of mm. what are the three things that I'm doing to make that big picture vision a reality mm. every day. Yeah, that journaling, it's such a its such a big one, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. What gives you the confidence to, you know, keep raising the bar and just have that energy every single day in terms of this massive, massive vision? Are there other people in your network that you have to have conversations with on a regular basis? I know a big part of your success is just, um, I, I heard in another podcast that you were on that you were very intentional about how you approach um, building your network, finding out the best performers in their different fields and meeting up with those people to find out who do they know. And that must just be so empowering and inspiring in terms of moving your whole movement forward. And obviously you can help a bunch of other people along the way too. Yes. So when I think about, this was, I think, in reference to hiring early on of how did I get into a field I really didn't know anything about? And it's taking one person who will talk to you. And it might take a while to find that first person. I cold emailed a lot of people um, and taking that and showing up, being present, being really engaged, and then asking them if, you know, who are the top three people that they've ever worked with? And do you think they would speak to me? And by doing that, you get exposed to, I think, some incredible talent, different way of thinking. And, and as your environment shifts, you grow and shift along with it. And so I think that has been a really important part of this. And I think a lot of the confidence comes from doing the work, right? So, I mean, some of it is a headspace thing, but some of it is I don't stress as much when I go into high intensity meetings, I think, compared to other people or when I'm giving talks in front of a lot of people, because at the end of the day, I know every single day I have worked my butt off to be the expert in my field. I've read every article I've done, you know, all the studies and all the technology pieces, I've worked really hard to stay up to date on that. And there's nothing someone else could throw at me that I haven't already thought about. And if they have, then that's great. And that's an incredible learning opportunity for me to grow and continue to think about something in a new way. So for me, this is always kind of a, a win-win of either I have the opportunity to grow in this space, or there's no reason to be stressed because it's an exchange of ideas or just a, a conversation. And what's the worst that can really happen? I think people really overemphasize all this like negative components of what could happen. Oh, I could sound silly. Oh, I could be embarrassed. Uh, and they really underestimate all the good things that can come out of that, mm. of you could meet someone that's really inspiring. You could find someone who's going to be your COO. There's incredible things that can come out of every interaction because everyone has something I think to offer. and. I think I really approach everything in that headspace. It takes you, a lot of stress off. Yeah. Have you read Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck? I have read, I've heard podcasts on this, but yeah. I have not actually read that book yet. It talks about the yeah. difference between the growth mindset and the fixed mindset. You just oh, summed yeah. it up really well there. It's massive having that growth mindset and everything you do. It's absolutely huge. I think a lot about how you can show up and be better every day. Mm. You know, it's a part of the journaling. It's part of my kind of weekly routine of mm. how is it that I'm growing and being better, constantly learning by no means stops when you're outside of school. And there's so many different axes on which to grow outside of just education, which I think a lot of people focus on. Mm. But, you know, how you fill your time. I think I think a lot about my diet. Mm. I say diet in quotes here because when people say diet, they think about like what you're eating and what you're putting in your body. But your diet is to me everything you consume. It's what are you watching? What are you listening to? Who are around you? It's you're consuming things constantly. And what's around you, I think, just like your physical diet will change what your body is like, your environmental, like psychological diet will really change how you show up and you feel. So if you're, you know, watching a lot of TV or hanging around with people who are really negative or, you know, there's all kinds of different inputs that might be there, it's going to change how you feel about yourself and actually how you show up, whether you 
can see it as clearly as gaining weight or losing weight or being muscular or not. That's all a part of who you are, how you show up, and it impacts your performance the same way a meal would. And I think that is something I think a lot about is what has my diet been, basically? Mm -hmm. Who have I spent time with? And has this been something positive for me or negative for me? Yeah, it's like catching up with someone for coffee and all they do is complain, complain, complain. <laughs> At the end of it, an hour, they've just ripped your ear off about how bad their life is and all this complaining. Yeah. And wow, then you meet someone who's gone through things that are, you know, 1,000 times the adversity, yet they're always looking for what's the gift in this and they're positive. You leave in a completely different headspace. It's a completely different headspace. And, yeah. and so much of it is the framing of, it's the lens, right? What you're looking for. Mm. It's the, you know, when you buy a car and you see that car everywhere, all of a sudden, yeah. uh, that happened to me recently. And I was like, <laughs> my God, there are a lot of white cars out here. But, you know, uh, that's the same thing with life. If you're really mm. going around and you're looking for something positive, if mm. you're looking for signs that this is working out for you, you're going to see them. Mm. And I think when you go in and you think, you know, I'm not going to win today. Or, you know, if you, if you go in with a negative headspace, that's what you're going to see. And I think it's a snowball effect. A mm. uh, question I like to ask every guest on your best day, what's an affirmation that you would write on a flashcard that you could show yourself on your worst day? You know, it's the same. I have a, I love post-its. So I have post-its all over my uh, <laughs> apartment at all times. I have them with me all the time. I think they're an incredible business tool. You have to distill thoughts in a very clean and concise way. The post-it I currently have on my desktop screen and the quote that most inspires me right now is champions don't show up to get everything they want. They show up to give everything they have. And that is something that's giving me a lot of energy right now. And to me, that's regardless of the type, what happens, like what you get out of that, right? That could be bad. That could be good. That's not always in your control. But if you show up and you give everything you have and you think about your life, I think from that kind of impact driven mindset, you will, I think, feel more fulfilled and actually achieve more towards your goals than I think with any other headspace. Yeah. What I love so much about your journey and everything you've shared today is like that commitment to doing everything you can, but also that brutal honesty with yourself that if you can get just a little bit better and have a little bit more awareness and a little bit more effectiveness every single day over the long term, you can just move mountains. Absolutely. It's, it's the small. We so underestimate the, the tiny pieces, I think. Yeah. Uh, last question before we move into the win the day rocket round. What are you most excited for with the future of Illumix? Oh, it's an exciting time right now, I think, yeah. across the board. I am really excited over the next year as you start to see, I think, more of these digital physical interactions and in what you interact with daily, whether it's how you're shopping, how you're gaming, how you're you know walking around and experiencing the world. I think that is actually at a bit of a tipping point right now where we're really going to start to see interactive 3D to becoming a part of our everyday life versus static 2D. Let's move into the win the day rocket round. 10 questions now for some quick answers. You up for this one, Kieran? Let's do it. Number one, what quote inspires you the most? <laughs> I think I just gave it, right? <laughs> you did. Yeah, champions don't show up to get what they want. You know, to get what they want. They show up to give everything they have. Mm, love it. Number two, morning coffee or evening wine? Ooh, morning coffee. <laughs> Number three, what's one bit of advice you'd give your 18-year-old self? It's a combination of... Don't be afraid of failure and think big. It would I would give myself what I call the genie test. Uh, this is my favorite, one of my favorite tests of all times. And it's something everyone can do. And I really suggest everyone should do this. If you right now took out a piece of paper and said, if a genie showed up and said, I can give you anything in your life or your career, what would that thing be? And you wrote it down. What, just take a moment and actually write that down and see what it would be. And it might sound like a kitschy <laughs> little test to do, but it's powerful because what the genie is doing is actually telling you what you would want and what you would want to do if you were truly not afraid of failure. That's what the genie does. He removes a fear of failure. And I think so much of our lives are actually controlled, whether you realize it or not. And my 18-year-old self would not have realized what I would have asked that genie for in terms of changing the world and being a part of this highly, you know, probably being in a creative space is not at all what I was actually pursuing. I was thinking about hedge funds and very traditional kind of career paths at that time. And I think people don't realize the scale of their ambition and potential 
and they don't realize how much they are held back by that fear of failure. And the real trick to the whole thing, right, is that you're the genie. You're the genie. You have the power to give yourself anything you want. That is undoubtedly the best answer we have had on this podcast. (laughs) So well done. Thank you very much. Number four, what book do you gift the most? Creativity Inc. I think it's a brilliant book on leadership and management and how to bring out the best in both the individuals and the systems and structures around you. Number five, was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? I used to be very self-conscious that I have a highly expressive face, so I could not really hide my thoughts when I meet new people (laughs) or in meetings. You can really tell what I think. And I was like, this is not, I'm not going to be a political person. This is going to make it really hard for me to do business and just live. It is hard to live life like that. And I think what I realized was it, I kind of turned it into my strength and I kind of have like raw authenticity as a part of my Mm. brand internally of I will always be extremely honest about how I'm thinking, what I don't know. I think that's one of a really big thing in meetings is people often are posing and acting like they know a lot more than they do. But if you're willing to be completely authentic about yourself, as well as perhaps what you think about others around you, I think actually it brings out other people's authenticity and you can get a lot more done. And I think inspire people to be the best version of themselves, which is probably the most important thing to do as a leader. Yeah, you know, the quote for this episode was, change is painful, but nothing is as painful as staying stuck somewhere you don't belong. I'm interrupting the rocket round here to ask you, what does that what does that sort of quote mean to you? Change is painful, but nothing is as painful as staying stuck somewhere you don't belong. That quote, I think it's the second half that stands out to me of being the, the pain of being stuck where you don't belong. A lot of people, I think, are scared of moving to where they need to be because there's a familiarity to where you are. And I think people don't step back going back to the genie test to actually realize where they want to be. It's often a lack of direction that makes people motionless more than anything else. And I think taking the time to actually find that is probably one of the most valuable things you can do. Number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? The stepping stone on the way to success, not an end state. Number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be? It would be my grandmother. She passed away when I was younger and she uh, was an incredible, self-possessed kind of entrepreneurial woman. She came to this country pre-civil rights, very early, started a business, had her own medical practice, and I think faced just incredible challenges. And I would love to talk to her about that and just, you know, you sit on the shoulders of giants. No one is here on their own and it's through a lot of their sacrifice. And I think their ethos that we get to be who we are today. So I would love to be able to have a conversation with her now that I'm an adult. Is, is she always front of mind for you in terms of impact and legacy with everything you're doing? Yeah. Love it. Number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business? <laughs> Google Calendar, I would be lost without. Uh, <laughs> and then this, the non-tech version would be Post-its. Yeah. <laughs> I love Post-its. You, people do not, you don't really know anything unless you can write it down simply on a Post-it. Give us some good post-it hacks. Do you try and get different colors or different color pens? What are you, what are you doing I here do with different all colors um, for different types of thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's just a good way of, you know, you don't want your phone out or necessarily be taking a ton of notes and meetings, but sometimes you do need to jot things down. And so I think post-its are really powerful for that. And I think the biggest thing, again, is it's a tool for distillation. And in today's world where you can talk endlessly really (laughs) and have like infinite resource to write things down. It's very easy to obfuscate what the truth is or what you really know. Post-it is just a beautiful tool for that. So it's like distillation without distraction. I don't get the big post-its. I get traditionally sized (laughs) post-its in different colors and just a simple pen and you can do anything with that. Yeah. Awesome. I love love it. Uh, Number nine, share one thing on your bucket list. I really want at some point to go spend time in an ashram in India. I spent a summer in a convent, actually, and it was probably one of the most impactful times of my life in terms of taking time off, finding my direction and really kind of spending time, meaningful time alone with yourself, which I think most people don't have the opportunity to do. So I would love to go and spend time in an ashram. And final question, number 10, what's one thing you do to win the day? I'm going to name finding that moment of joy and kind of using that as your beacon for finding your purpose. Yeah, love it. Well, there are a bunch of ways to connect with Kieran and we'll link to all of these in the show notes. You can follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Kieran Sinha and check out the amazing things she's doing with Illumix at Illumix.com. Again, all of that and more will be linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing all your amazing wisdom today. It's been such a great chat. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Win The Day podcast. We want to hear your thoughts on what we covered today, so drop a comment on the YouTube version of this episode with your favorite takeaway, any questions you have, or what actions you'll be taking as a result of what was shared in this episode. And if you found value in the Win The Day podcast, leave a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You'll find a link to both of those in the show notes. It'll only take you a few seconds and more ratings really helps other people discover the show so they can get the mindset upgrade they need and we can bring more winners into the Win The Day movement. That's all for this episode. Get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always.